Good morning. I'm glad to see everybody here this morning. Um, welcome to Round Oak. My name is Trevor. I'm pastor here. And again, if you're a guest, uh, we are glad you're here. And if you're not a guest, um, thank you again for being here. We're happy to be here uh, just together in Worship Christ this morning because that's what we do and that's what we want to do. But again, as we get started here, I hope that everybody had a Merry Christmas. If I haven't seen you in the last couple days or week, I hope that you had an awesome New Year. Great celebration that it was safe and fun. And again, as we enter this new year, you do know what that means, right? We have to buy new calendars. <clears throat> See, that's two jokes already today. We're on, we're on a roll. But uh, and all, while we're doing that, with all the changes that are happening, there really is no better time right than right now to start a new series. So that's what we're gonna do. Um, this will be a longer one. There will be breaks, certain things, little topical sermons thrown in. But um, we're going to be in here for a while. Typically, I like to go through whole books of the Bible once. Um, so that's, again, what we're going to do. We're going to start here today with the book of John. So we're going to go through that whole thing. It's going to be a long journey. Um, feel free to read ahead. Um, take notes. I mean, it's, it's a good thing, but it's going to take a while. So we'll be there for a little bit. So uh, as we get started, feel free to grab your Bibles. I hope that you have them. So pull them out, open up to the very first chapter, the very first verse of the book of John, and that's where we're going to start. <clears throat> but I want to set this up just a little bit first. Um, maybe you're new, maybe you, you've not heard this before, but either way, uh, I just want to talk about it for just a minute. John is known as one of the Gospels, obviously, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, one of the four main ones. Um, but it's a little bit different. Uh, there's one that's not like the other, and that is the book of John. So we're going to look at that a little bit. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known, has anybody heard of this word, the synoptics? That's, there are the synoptic gospels. Does anybody know what that means? What the word means, synoptics? They were, they were written at the right time. The word is as a Greek word that means that it is seen together. So if you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can kind of look at them and you can see that they're all kind of similar to all talking about uh, uh, the same thing, obviously, going in the same fairly similar chronological order, taking from a similar point of view. Um, John is just different. Not in a bad way different, but it just is different. It never contradicts the other Gospels, obviously. It never contradicts any of the other uh, books of the Bible in general. But John helps the synoptics, the, the other three, be more relatable, more understandable, and vice versa. The, the three synoptics help John be more understandable. It gives us a bigger picture of what's going on. Again, and that's because of what the Bible is. It doesn't contradict, but it pours out and it opens more. It's because it's the Word of God, right? It helps us to understand who God is more and more and they work in congruence with each other constantly they're feeding off each other never in contradiction but always building up more and more so that we can get a better picture of who god really is is who jesus really really is not just the jesus we come up with not just the jesus that we we think about so that we can kind of get what we want but who he really is and that's where we're at because it's the word of the living god again living active sharper than any double-edged sword and it all comes from the same god who inspired it 
And this book as a whole is about knowing who Jesus really is. Um, this is the book of John again, and it's one of the one, it's the only of the four Gospels again that uh, gives a precise statement about the author's purpose. Did you know that? Out of the four, that's the only one that says this. At the end of it, towards the end of it, John twenty thirty one, it says this. But these things have been written to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. He's telling you, granted, at the end, but kind of giving a recap here, what the book is there for, what it's all about. He's saying the main point is Jesus. We're going to get you the, the heavy hitting, the important stuff out of the way so that you know who he is. And it's also looking at it in the light that you've already read three other Gospels. So it all goes together. So if you want to read ahead, I hope that you also read backwards and read the other Gospels as well. Because it will, it, I promise you, it will bless you and you will get to know your Savior more and more. And to be honest with you, it just kind of get more straightforward than that. So um, I hope that you found it. John chapter 1, just the first three verses here this morning. Uh, follow along as I read aloud. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Amen, right? So we start here. Openings are important. Um, if you look at any of the openings in any of the books of the Bible, they're all very important. It sets the tone for everything that follows for the rest of the time that the author is writing. And this is done either by saying who is writing it, giving a certain greeting, because in many cases that's how we know a lot of the Pauline letters, the epistles, were, uh, were fake or not, because of how he opened them in the writing style. Because at the time, there were lots of different goofy things going around, lots of different writings that people were trying to put their influence on things. So there's lots of fakes. But again, it's important because either it's who is writing it or simply what it's going to be about. <clears throat> In this case, I don't think John pulls any punches. Right out of the box, he says something that's more profound than pretty much, at least in my opinion, anything that we've read since Genesis 1-1 up until this point. And again, this mimics Genesis 1-1, and it does it for a reason. John does that for a reason, because John is talking about that beginning. I mean, you don't have to turn there, but if you flip all the way back to like your very first page in the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is what he's talking about right here. That is that beginning that John is talking about. The creation story. Again, that's one that we all heard. We all know it. And if you don't know it, I'll, you can just catch up real quick. It, it doesn't take a long to read the first, you know, couple chapters of Genesis. And you'll know that in that beginning, that is what John is talking about. And what John is talking about is Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of our lives, who we know. And again, now we're starting to get into some pretty big implications. But again, we can know that this is the word. When he's talking about the word, uh, was with God and word was God. Uh, we're not going to get into it today because we're not going to spoil the next couple sermons as we get further and further into John. But just a little bit down, we see that um, it says certain things about who it is. <clears throat> it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Again, we're talking about Jesus. The more you read, the more you understand, the more you can get into it. I'm not trying to ramble. We're trying to get the setup 
because I think it's important to know where they're coming from. We can just get into it, we can talk about certain things, but if we don't know what's happening, we tend to get lost. If you ever started reading a book, any book, it could be a secular book, it could be the Bible, it could be anything, but you started on page like, I don't know, 50, if you don't know the beginning, you're not going to know what's going on. So I think it's important to learn about these things. It's important to understand that openings, that beginnings are incredibly important. But what we have to see here is John is making a major claim about Jesus. And I think we do just, we, we rush past it too, too, too fast and too often. But what we have to see is that that major claim is something that fits with everything else that we read about who Jesus is. Everything else that we see in the Bible. That from eternity past, eternity past, Jesus was with the Father. At the origin of all things, and even before that, Jesus was still there. Jesus was not just, he didn't just show up for the first time in Bethlehem, what we talked about you know, a couple weeks ago with Christmas. That wasn't the first time he showed up. Um, he was not created by the Father. At the very beginning, at the source of all things, of everything, of anything, Jesus was there. He was with God. The statement, that fact, has some serious implications. Because we're now looking at a person who had come to earth, that whole incarnate concept, we get all that, that Jesus, God came to earth. That makes this a really big deal not talked about in any other religion not talked about in any other cult not talked about in anything this is such a big deal and it holds seriously huge implications and for good reason and for good reason but it's not as serious as the next statement that he was with god forever because the next statement he says and the word was god claiming that Jesus is, is not just something or a small g God or a lesser God or he earned some kind of godhood. He's saying that same Jesus, the one that I'm going to tell you about through the rest of my writing here, this, these next 24, whatever it was, chapters, he's saying that that person is literally God. That's big. That's real big. That's huge, huge, big, 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 huge, right? Now I'll say it's big, but I'll say this, it should seem fairly obvious that Jesus is God. I mean, when you look at it, if, if he's always been, and he wasn't created, I mean, it, it's kind of obvious, right? It's obvious. But John wasn't going to leave it up for debate. He wanted you to know, he wanted his readers at the time to know, he wants us to know now that this is a big, big deal. That Jesus is God and always has been. That from eternity past, Jesus was there. Never been a time, a moment, a millisecond, anything that Jesus was not God. And the word here is imi. That's the word they use for the word was. When it says that and Jesus was God, or the word was God. And that's because of the tense that it's used. You know, know how to parse words? Remember that from like high school English? I hated that super bad. But it got actually kind of fun when you start to learn, you know, uh, other languages because you get to know meanings of words. But that word, in the imperfect fashion, when you tense it, was means without beginning. Always has been. He's describing a continual action in the past, which means if you threw a baseball and it never, ever stopped, 
that's a was. It just keeps going. There is never a beginning. It never has an ending. So it's forever. Jesus was with God, it says. The word was with God means that it never had a starting point. From eternity, which has no starting point, up until when John was writing this, he's saying it's never not been a time. Outside of our time domain here, outside of the realm that we know in this universe when time actually began, even before that, Jesus was God and was with God. So we have to get this grasp because our view of who Jesus is really matters. If we think he had a beginning, we've already shrunk him down and we're wrong. If we think that he wasn't with God or he just showed up at a certain time or anything else that's literally not described in the Bible, we have shrunken him down and we're not talking about the same Jesus. There are lots of different cults. There are lots of different uh, um, just sects, I suppose you could call it, uh, of Christianity that claim certain things. <clears throat> There's one that's pretty big and pretty popular. They like to add a word to this. You might know it when I, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of read it and I'll add the word that they added. And you might know who I'm talking about. But it says, in the beginning was a word and the word was with, was with a God. They add certain things like that. In. And that changes the whole concept. They are not 100% worshiping any kind of real Jesus that's portrayed in the Bible, that's shown to us, that's revealed to us. They're not, they're making up something for themselves. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. But again, Jesus has always been God. This whole section tells us expressly the most profound truth in all the universe. By far the most profound thing that we could hear. And not only that, but it does it in such clear terms. We try to build it up. We try to do so many things. But it says it extremely clearly. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It doesn't get much more straightforward than that. It's, it does it in such a way that anybody can grasp it. And have you ever heard this? I love this saying too. Um, I, don't, I don't know who, who originally quoted it, but it makes so much sense. that The Bible in the whole as a whole is so simple that even young children can understand it but it's so deep and rich that even the most seasoned theologian can drown in it it's simple for a reason so that everybody can get it but the more you turn the pages and the more you read it the more you realize i don't know anything about this and you can always keep going but it's so clear, so straightforward that John talks about it here. That simply Jesus is God and that he always has been. And that God that we're talking about here, the one that was there in the beginning, the one that was with God, the one that is God, is the one we're here right now worshiping. The one we sang songs to a little bit ago. That's that same God. And that should get us a little bit excited. That when we think about the one who created all things simply by the breath of his mouth, by speaking words, is the one that we get to worship right here and right now. We talked about it earlier, and we will get there eventually. But we talked about the woman in the well. He said there will become a time when you will worship him in spirit and truth. And that means anywhere, not just in Jerusalem at the temple. We get to worship this God anywhere because of what he's done for us. And what he's done for us is he's given us that Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And we always have that connection. We always can worship God. There's never not a good time to do it. We can always, always do it. The 
basic thing is Jesus is who he says he is. And then I will say this. It, it's essential. It's That's a non-negotiable. There's a lot of secondary issues that I'm going to disagree with certain of you on. And there's things that you will hold to that I disagree with you on. This cannot be one of them. It can't be. This is a, again, non-negotiable. Anything short of that, we are creating a a Jesus in our head that means nothing. It means zero. We are looking at something that's simply not real. And on being God, Jesus claimed this for himself. A lot of people say, well, Jesus never said that. Jesus never said that he was God. (laughs) Open the book. Just open it. He did so repeatedly. He referred to himself as I am. And if you know what that means, that's a big deal. Eight times just in the book of John. He came, claimed to be one in nature and in essence with the Father. And, and I, you can tell by the Pharisees' reaction, if you've ever read through any of the New Testament, you know every time he said something like that, the Pharisees freaked out and they wanted to kill him because he's claiming to be God constantly and overtly again and again. This would have been blasphemy, but that's not my favorite one. This is my big, this is my favorite one that we talk about. We all know when, after Jesus' resurrection, he saw a guy that got a pretty bad rap. You call people, if they don't believe, they say, you're doubting Thomas. We all know where that comes from, right? Right here. Jesus said, you believe because you have seen, right? What did Thomas say? He said, my Lord and my God. Did Jesus correct him? He said, no, you you got it. You believe that because you've seen it. He's agreeing with everything. And I want to use, make sure that we know how big of a deal this is. He says the word theos when he says, my God. And just for the record, that's the big G. that's, that's That's not the lowercase G. That's the God that we repeatedly, that he calls himself constantly and over and over throughout the Old Testament. Thomas calls Jesus that God, and he's correct. The very same that's been used throughout the, all the Bible. The word that means the eternal God of the universe. And Jesus is like, yep, you're right, that's me. Jesus claimed it over and over again. That same God, again, is who we are here worshiping. And that's amazing. We need to get a right mindset because Our thinking can only go so far. We can have a really good idea, really good grasp of things, and we can still be wrong. But we can not quite be there. So when we look at this, when we read it, we have to let the Holy Spirit really move in us. Because our human, our finite little minds can't grasp what eternity is. Because that's a long time. I mean, if my kids tell me I'm old all the time and eternity's older than me. And I know you guys are like, oh, weirdo. But anyway, it's a long time. We can't grasp that. We can't grasp that, that the God of the universe would come to earth and give up everything to come here for us to die for us. We can't really grasp that, though we should be exceedingly grateful that he did. 
I mean, really, when you try to wrap your head around these things, it gets tough. It's like, why? Especially when you do some soul searching and you're like, you did that for me. I wouldn't even do that for me. I know the stuff I've done. I know what I've said. I know how I act. And yet the one who created all things decided that that was a good idea. Man, it's crazy. It's amazing. But we'll, we'll keep going. We look through verse 3. It says this here. <clears throat> all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So we look at it. In the beginning, there was Jesus. He was with God, and he was God. And now we're starting to see that he is the creator of all things. But first, I do want to say this. I love this whole opening statement, though. The meaning and the depth of the whole thing is outstanding. And the more you study it, the more you look at all the, the root words, you look at the original language, all these things, you really start to see how important all of it really is and how much truth there is there. And verse 3 continues that because it adds on to what's already been said. And I want you to think about what was said here. Because again, the implications of all this and just these first couple verses are huge. Enough to where at the time, John's sitting there, I don't know if he's at his desk or is at a table or hiding in a cave, maybe he's up in a tree, it didn't really matter. But wherever he was sitting, if there were certain Jews in the area, the Pharisees, the leaders, these people, they would have been like, uh, yeah, we're going to kill you because you wrote that. This was big. Us here today, we're not worried about that. We're not worried about people coming through. And if somebody didn't believe, we would say, hey, somebody who didn't believe showed up to church today. We'd be excited about that. But if this was 2,000 years ago, they would have been a little bit worried. First about reading it. Second about teaching it. But mostly, the third point is about John writing it. The implications, again, are huge. Huge, huge, big. But John writes all these things uh, that have been, that writes that all things have been created through him. And then he reiterates it by uh, responding in the negative too. Because the literal translation is not one thing. So everything's recreated. But then he says, like literally nothing, not one single solitary little atom in the, all of the universe was created without Christ. Nothing. So when we look at this, it leads to only one logical conclusion. That the creator of all things must have, first and foremost, been uncreated himself. Because you can't be a creator of all things if you were created. Kind of a good rationale. And that only the eternal God is uncreated. So if, if the creator is uncreated, and only an eternal God is uncreated, so this same Jesus... The one that we just celebrated his first coming a couple weeks ago is the same God of the universe who created all things. And not a single whoa there. Whoa, right? That's crazy. I mean, that's amazing. Because too many churches, I try to make it a point. I don't think we did it here. I don't think anybody here cares that we didn't do it here. But people make a big deal about having a, a basket right up here during Christmas. And this little baby to me. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's awesome. That's a great thing that he came for us. And yes, he started off as a baby. But we like to keep him there. We like to think about that. Talk about that. I'm like, no. 
He came like that. Yes, awesome. Praise God. But he came to go to the cross for us. He came to die for us. And that same one who, yes, came as a baby, went to the cross, also created the cross that held him up there. That's our God. And that's awesome. We need to see that. I think too often we just don't have a right view of who Jesus is. Don't get me wrong. I don't think a lot of the views are wrong. But we get stuck on certain views. So we have a, a narrow tunnel vision of who Jesus is. When Jesus is big, he's real big. We try to shrink him down again so that we think that we can grasp him. So that we think we can understand him more. And what happens is that many people start to claim that they love a Jesus that they don't even know. And that, that's issues. That creates problems. Because if I tell you about Jesus, I don't want you to create a Jesus in your head. I think the same for you. If you were telling people about the lover of your soul who saved you, you don't want them to create some random Jesus in their head. We need to know the truth. But they claim to love a Jesus that they or someone else has made up. And the reality is that that Jesus is pointless. He can do nothing. The Jesus that we create in our head that we think will do all these things is no better than the idols that we read about in the Old Testament. He can't do nothing. But the real Jesus, the Jesus is in the Bible, what we need to see is so exceedingly greater than any of the random stuff that we can come up with. The Jesus that's revealed to us in the 66 books of Scripture is so much more amazing and can do actual things and real things and great things compared to the little things that we think about that can help me have a happy day today. Oh, because my God, if I pray hard enough, he's going to give me that Ferrari and that Lamborghini we were talking about a few weeks ago. But we talked about that this morning, too, in our Sunday school class. But then I have to pay taxes on that, right? And then insurance. What he does for me today is, is, is garbage compared to what he can do for us. But what Jesus did for us is an eternal thing. And the Jesus that people make up in our heads only makes us happy now because we don't even know what happy is. The Jesus of the Bible is greater than anything we can come up with. And it's our privilege. We get that privilege to serve him. We get to be here. You know, one of the things I really hate, one of my pet peeves, is the police like, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I have to go to church. You, we get to. We get to do this. Does anybody not enjoy hanging out and, and singing songs and worship? I hope no one raises their hand. Because I do. <laughs> yeah. But we get to do these things. We get to worship Christ. We don't have to. He gives us that option. He says, hey, I love you. Do you trust me? I've shown you. Yeah, he reveals to himself to us all the time. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father compels him to come. This is pretty compelling. But we get to. We get to do these things. We get to praise Him. We get to have His righteousness, His grace in our lives each and every day. We get to have His salvation. And that's the salvation that comes from the God of the universe who was there in the beginning and created everything. Every single thing. 
You know, one of the things I like to think about is that when God created the universe, <clears throat> our God is so amazing that he knew ahead of time that he was going to put oil in places because one day we were going to have cars and need the gas. Little things. I mean, really, that's crazy. Though this world is vastly different from what was originally created, through the fall, sin entered the world, and through sin, it corrupted everything. Every aspect of life has been corrupted because of sin. But the thing is, we still have the blessed hope of what God said he was going to do. What he said he was going to do. That we are looking forward to Jesus' return. And when he does, he will set all things right. He will set all things right. When all things are made new, when they're all made imperishable, incorruptible, and for all time, made for eternity. When Jesus comes back, he'll make everything right, perfect for all eternity going Because that's what is amazing about our God. He doesn't just throw old and broken things out. He doesn't get rid of things and just says meh to stuff that's not perfect. He takes what has been broken, what has been hurt, and what has been corrupted, and he makes them new. Thank God for that. Because who here is not broken or hurt or corrupted? And he didn't disregard us, but he made us new. He gave us newness. Just if you if you if you don't know Christ and, and nothing what I just said makes any sense, I want you to know that he can do that very exact same thing for you. Like literally right here and right now. He can take your brokenness, he can take your pain, and he can give you life and he can give you healing and he can give you salvation. Because salvation doesn't start when we die. Salvation starts at the moment you ask Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, and you confess with your mouth. And you can have that again right now. And just how he doesn't throw out broken or hurt things, he makes them new. We can be made new right here, right now. If you don't know Christ, you can be a new creation in him. It doesn't take much because it's the free gift. The free gift of God, bought by Jesus Christ and paid for by his blood. Real and true life is available. And it's made possible by one. By the only one. And that one is before all things. And that one is the one who created all things. We were created to be worshiping creatures. We will worship something. Whether it's something we have, a possession, some random person. Or is it the one who was in the beginning? Who was God and created all things? That's the two options. And that's it. I hope you choose the right option. Father, for everything that you do and for who it is that you are. Thank you, Lord, that we have your word that we can read and follow and understand. So that we can know who you are more and more and better and better each and every day. Thank you, Jesus, that you would create all of this, give up your spot, come here to earth, knowing what was going to happen, still going forward, 
and dying and shedding your blood so that we could have salvation, so that we could have your righteousness, so that we could stand before a holy God and say, I'm with Jesus. And you can say, Jesus, that I am his. He belongs to me. Lord, thank you for all that you do. Lord, forgive us when we aren't grateful for who you are. And again, help us to see and understand you more. We love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.